And this morning we're going to be uh, looking at Matthew 26, uh, verses 36 through verse 46. Matthew 26 at verse 36, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Then Jesus came and with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And so he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we praise you and thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. That it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And we thank you for this passage. We pray that your spirit would be with your word. To give us wisdom and understanding to see the truth that is here. And we pray, Father, that as your word goes forth in the power of the Spirit, we do pray that it would find within each of our hearts that rich, fertile soil which truly brings about great and abundant fruit for your glory. We ask now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, over the last a couple of weeks, we've recounted several times the, the events of the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. And so basically all that Matthew has recorded from uh, chapter 21 all the way up now through chapter 26. And one of the reasons for this review has been to, to show how really intense these few days were for for Jesus and for the disciples. There's a series of, of high points and, and low points. There was a joy and, and even confusion. There's a sense of hope and yet this sense of impending foreboding. And of course it hasn't even been a full week yet. 
with even the most intense events yet to come. Well, we've noted how this must have affected the disciples and and how they had to be physically and and emotionally exhausted. And we see even evidence of that uh, even confirmed here in our our passage this morning as they, they so easily fall asleep. We've also considered the increasingly heavy burden that Jesus was carrying as His appointed time of suffering had come and His painful and shameful death on the cross for our sins was was fast approaching. Instead of days, it is now only a matter of hours. We noted how when Jesus and His disciples left the upper room after the Passover, that His inner thoughts and and even the anguish that He was struggling with were expressed in the hymn that they sang, uh, Psalm 118. And now as Jesus and His disciples arrive on the Mount of Olives, this anguish and suffering intensify even more as Jesus faces the certain reality of what the Heavenly Father has sent Him to accomplish. As Jesus endures this anguish, He shows us not only that He is truly a faithful high priest who can truly sympathize with us in our weakness, in our pain, and in our suffering, but He shows us that our only hope, our only hope and only comfort in our time of need is to look to the Lord and to bend ourselves to His perfect will. Trusting in Him to truly work out all things for our good and for His glory. In verse 36, we see that Jesus and His disciples came to a place called Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane was a garden or grove at the base of the Mount of Olives. And in Luke 22, Luke tells us that this was Jesus' customary place to go for prayer. Surely there's a certain comfort in in going to a a familiar place to seek rest and and refreshment. Maybe you have such a place. Maybe there's a a particular park or field or a place in the woods that you like to go, a quiet place to, to go and to think and to meditate and to pray and to seek the Lord. And so this truly is the perfect spot for Jesus and His disciples especially after these past few days. Now, Gethsemane is, is actually a transliteration of, of the Hebrew word, which simply means oil press. Well, this likely indicates, obviously, they're on the Mount of Olives, and there's going to be olives on the Mount, and you uh, press olives in order to get oil. And so it likely indicates that there was a, a press close by. On this night, however, there were no olives to press. No, in fact, this usual familiar place of comfort and rest. On this night, we'll see Jesus being pressed with great and deep anguish as he considers what lay ahead for him. But thankfully, he's not alone. The eleven are with him. Judas, right, has, remember, Judas has already gone and left to, 
take care of his wicked business. And as the eleven approach this this, uh, garden, Jesus tells eight of them to sit in one area while he, Peter, and the sons of Zebedee, which would be James and John, that they go to another area of the garden to pray. And just as this garden was the usual place for Jesus to go to pray, Peter, James, and John were seemingly the usual disciples to accompany Jesus on special occasions. It was these three who were kind of the inner, inner circle of the disciples. And they alone were with Jesus. For example, when he healed Jairus' daughter and brought her back to life. And they, of course, among the disciples were with Jesus and were witnesses of his glory when he was transfigured before them on the mountain north of Bethsaida. But not only were these greatly privileged to be included in these special times, but ironically, from what we know about them from the Gospels, they each were prone to pride and self-exaltation. We considered uh, this with Peter and his boasting last time. But we'll also remember that it was James and John, along with their mother on their, on their way to Jerusalem, who were advocating for them to, uh, to sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus when He comes in His kingdom and power and glory. Right? Exalting themselves above the other uh, disciples. Well, here in this garden of anguish, instead of proud boasting they too will be pressed and will be humbled. And as Jesus and the three go a little further from the rest, well, suddenly uh, an overwhelming wave of, of emotion sweeps over Jesus and weighs heavily upon him. And look at how Matthew describes it. First in verse 37, he began kind of suddenly, he you know, he's, everything's going along new, uh, normally, but then all of a sudden he began. It, it started immediately and suddenly he began to be sorrowful. Sorrowful, filled with grief and, and anguish. As one who mourns the, the loss of a loved one, Jesus becomes extremely sad. It's an intense emotional state of distress and pain that often kind of comes in, in waves and in flames and, and often is accompanied by, by tears. And again, it, it comes upon him and overwhelms him. And he was also deeply distressed, or some translations may have greatly agitated, or that he just became heavy, giving the sense that the trouble he was sensing was so great as, as if it were pressing down and, and crushing him. Even as those olives would be crushed in this very garden. And the oil, which was the lifeblood of the olives, would come pouring out. And and again, Luke gives us this um, uh, little detail. That as Jesus is praying here in this garden at this time, that blood and water begin to, to come from His pores. He's sweating blood and water. He's being pressed. Crushed under the weight, even as those olives would be pressed, would be pressed. Now, Jesus had been sad before, 
He wept over the curse of death that had consumed his friend Lazarus. He grieved over Jerusalem's rejection of him. But never before has he suffered this much anguish. In fact, it was so great that he can't keep it to himself. But he's compelled to share it with Peter, James, and John, expressing in verse 38, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Literally, he's encompassed, he's surrounded by sorrow. He's not just sad and unhappy, but this sorrow strikes deep within his soul, as if to even bring him to the very point of death. There's an intensity here that's really just unimaginable. But, it's not something that Jesus didn't know was coming. You see, even this deep, pressing anguish, Jesus knew would come upon Him, as it was foretold long ago in the Scriptures. For example, in Isaiah 53, verse 3, that that great messianic uh, passage regarding the suffering servant of the Lord, which speaks so clearly of all that Jesus endured for us. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says, He is despised and rejected by men. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus is this man of sorrows. In fact, earlier this, this very same evening, Jesus would have sung another hymn with His disciples. We already mentioned before Psalm 118, but uh, after the Passover, they also would have sung the words of Psalm 116. The words of this psalm also being the words of the eternal Son of God penned centuries before by the hand of David. Psalm 116 verse 3. The pains of death surrounded me and the pangs of Sheol or the pangs of the grave laid hold of me. I found a trouble and sorrow. Jesus is overwhelmed with sorrow and anguish. He knew it was coming. And now it is coming with full force. And the weight of this burden really becomes crippling. We see in verse 39 that that Jesus then leaves behind the three and and becomes further isolated in his grief and sorrow. He's going off to himself to to pray. And as he goes just a little bit further... He suddenly falls to the ground on his face as if all strength from his body has left him. So great is he being pressed down. Beloved of God, consider, consider this intense sorrow that Jesus endured in the garden. Truly he was the suffering servant of the Lord that Isaiah prophesied about. This was only the beginning, as this was just a precursor to the suffering that was still yet to come. Jesus has been dealing with this for the past several days as as the time approaches, but here in this garden, this this anguish, it increases, it's turned up a hundredfold. 
and it has brought him to his knees. Figuratively as well as literally. And so this is the anguish that Jesus was dealing within himself. But there was another way that Jesus was, was being pressed. And that is with the anguish of disappointment in his disciples. Now again, we mentioned Judas has already left. He left back before when they were still in the upper room. Jesus told the eight to to stay in a certain place while he took the three, Peter, James, and John, to, to go to another place of this garden to pray. But then he also leaves them behind to go and pray on his own. But before he does, he gives them an important command in verse 38. He tells them, stay here and watch with me. Stay. Don't, don't move. Don't go anywhere. Stay and, and keep watch. Stay on the alert and be vigilant and do this continuously. Don't take a break. Now, he doesn't say what specifically they must keep watch for. But given what Jesus has already told them earlier, that he was going to be betrayed, and, and even that very night he was going to be struck, well, they likely were to keep watch for anyone who might be coming to seek mischief against them. And of course, at this point, we remember the boasting of Peter and, and the other disciples in verse 35. They wouldn't deny Him or or scatter from Him in His time of need. Even if they must die with Him, they had committed themselves to remain true and faithful right up to the end. Well, that boastful commitment is about to be put to the test. And these proud ones, as Jesus foretold, would begin their stumbling because of Him. And so Jesus tells them to, to be alert and vigilant, and then he goes off to pray. And, and after about an hour spent in this anguishing prayer, and we'll, we'll get to that shortly, but Jesus returns, and, and to his dismay, he finds his three close companions, and they're sleeping. Verse 40, Then he came to the disciples and found them asleep, and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me an hour? Now notice that though all three of them were sleeping, Jesus purposely directs the rebuke at Peter. I mean, this is unbelievable. You you couldn't even stand guard for one hour. Uh, Look, Peter, I've told you that I'm going to be betrayed, and yet you can't keep on the lookout. I share with you. Just a few moments ago or an hour ago, I share with you that my soul is in great torment, even to the point of death, and yet you simply kick back and relax and fall asleep. Jesus is clearly disappointed. But note also that Jesus doesn't he doesn't belabor the, the point. He doesn't humiliate Peter. He doesn't mock or, or poke fun at his foolish boasting from earlier and, and throw it back in, in Peter's face. Right? He doesn't say, oh, look, see? You who are going to die with me. Jesus doesn't do that. No, our Savior abounds with grace, mercy, compassion, and, and pity. He knows 
the weaknesses of His disciples. He knows our weaknesses. And though He brings about conviction for our sin when we grieve the Holy Spirit, He's not cruel or mean about it. Because His desire is to bring us back to Himself through our confession of that sin and our repentance. Well, that conviction may have been beginning to pierce Peter's heart at this point. Especially as Jesus gives another command. But, but this one's a little different. Verse 41, he says, Watch and pray. Right? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And so Jesus again tells them to remain vigilant, but now he adds that they should be praying as well. But note he also tells them not to, he doesn't tell them to pray for him, but to pray for themselves. Lest you enter into temptation. See, Jesus is warning them that temptation is, is knocking at their door. And he's warning them not to fall into sin. And that they should pray, that they should uh, take up uh, prayer so that they might resist the temptation. Now this too is a display of Jesus' patience and compassion toward His disciples, even toward us. Brothers and sisters, how often are are you clearly warned about sin and about temptation? And yet instead of keeping watch and praying, you, you fall asleep and you tumble headlong into sin. You hear the warnings but you don't heed them. But what a great comfort it should be for us that Jesus truly knows our human condition and our weakness. Similar to what Paul acknowledges in Romans 7, that the spirit or desire to do what is good and right in God's sight is willing, but the flesh, the flesh is weak and frail and susceptible. And so the struggle is real, which is all the more reason We need to be on guard. We need to be uh, keeping watch. And we need to be praying so that we might resist the temptations of the evil one that come upon us. That we would not grieve the Spirit of the living God with our sin. That we would not trample upon the the precious blood of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, surely after this encounter, these friends of Jesus, His disciples, His close disciples, certainly they'll be more vigilant. And likely they, they probably, I know if, it were, if I had been rebuked by Jesus, that I would certainly put great effort into, into staying watch and, and praying as, as Jesus goes away and, and to pray a second time. We don't want to go through that again. But in verse 43, when Jesus returned, He came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So after the clear rebuke and warning that they were just given earlier, they once again fall asleep. They fall and pray to the weak flesh yet again. I'm sure... I don't have to guess at this. 
I'm sure that this is the experience of all of us in many ways. That we sin against God in us, whatever way it may be. And we pray and we seek His forgiveness and, and we're forgiven and we have a, a boldness of commitment that we're going to do it. I'm not going to fall prey to that again and I'm going to, I'm going to be keeping watch. I'm going to be praying and do all that I need to do. And we fall into that same sin again. Over and over and over again. This is what the disciples are doing here because the Spirit is willing... We have a desire, but the flesh is weak because of the remnant of the sin nature that remains in us. Well, Peter certainly isn't helping his case at all as his Jesus' prediction about Peter's denial. And Peter was so... uh, strong and firm about objecting that's not going to happen, well, it's now becoming a very real possibility. And I think Peter, at this point, realizes it. Peter can't even stay awake to keep watch and pray to be delivered from temptation. How does he expect to avoid the temptation to deny Jesus? Now, certainly in their defense... It's been a, a rough couple of days. And at this point, it's, it's well past midnight and deep into the early morning hours before sunrise. And if any of you have ever uh, stayed up all night or, or worked the night shift, you know that there's that certain time before sunrise where it's near impossible to stay awake, especially if you don't have any kind of caffeine to keep you awake. And so it's hard. It's not, it would not be an easy task. And certainly the disciples were, were obviously embarrassed and ashamed that they couldn't, even, they couldn't even give a response. Even Peter, who seemed to always have something to say, he, he remained silent. In fact, other than stirring them awake, it appears as though even Jesus didn't say anything. I mean, what more could he say? And so he goes away to pray a third time in verse 44. And then when he returns, he again finds them sleeping. Are you still sleeping and resting? Now, by reading the words here, we can't hear the, the tone of grief and sorrow that surely must have been expressed with them. But given what Jesus is enduring, there must have been a great sense of disappointment as even His disciples, even His closest disciples, are unable to stay awake to provide support and comfort for Him in this time of great need. And so this is another layer. Again, Jesus had that inner turmoil. And this is just another layer of anguish that is is pressing against him as he's becoming more and more isolated. But there's still one more layer. And this truly is most significant. It's the anguish that Jesus experiences 
as he pours himself out in prayer to God the Father. Three times Jesus goes and he prays, praying the same prayer each time. And note these things about his prayer. First, Jesus acknowledges his relationship with God the Father. Jesus is the unique, only begotten Son of the Father. And and in verse 39 to 42, and presumably in verse 44, when he's praying the third time, he acknowledges this personal and intimate relationship as he calls out, Oh, my Father. How natural and really touching is this? Right? And though, though God the Father and God the Son we know and pr- profess and confess are, are one in the divine nature, Jesus here gives a beautiful display of His humanity. Even as a small child. Even as a small child when He, when he finds Himself in trouble. What, what's He going to do? He's going to call out to the strongest person He knows. Daddy, please come help. And so in the midst of great emotional and soul-disturbing torment, Jesus cries out simply and confidently to His Father. And, and, And Mark, in his account, adds that He calls Him Abba, Father. Again, expressing the the more intimate aspect of of fatherhood. Beloved of God, this is this example that Jesus set for us to follow. Indeed, He's already instructed the disciples in this with the Lord's Prayer, right? When He tells them, "This this is how you know you should pray in this manner. Our Father, who art in heaven. We pray to God our Father. It's the same intimate and personal way that Jesus is praying here. And, and when we're in trouble, when, when everyone else around us has failed us, and, and they do fail us, and they will fail us, we know that we have our Heavenly Father that we can cry out to and seek for help in our time of need. And He's able to help. Because He's the Sovereign Lord God. And and this is what we notice next as Jesus acknowledges God's sovereignty. In verse 39, Jesus begins to pray, Oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. The if now here may, may indicate that maybe, well maybe there's something that God can't do. And you say, well you know, if it's possible, I'm not sure if it's possible or not, but if it is, let this cup pass. Is Jesus expressing some doubt with this if? Well, certainly not. In fact, Mark, again, in in his account, adds a little bit more detail, recording uh, that following this if statement, he has the firm acknowledgement, all things are possible for you. So God certainly has the power and the authority to do what Jesus asks us, uh, and as Jesus acknowledges God's sovereign power. But Jesus also knows that all things are possible if if it's in accordance with God's predetermined plan and purpose. If God hasn't decreed it, it's not going to happen. In fact, it won't be possible for it to happen, for God has decreed whatsoever comes to pass. And Jesus knows this. 
And he knows what the will of God for him is. And we'll see that shortly. But he still expresses in his humanity a desire for another way. If it were at all possible, let this cup pass. Brothers and sisters, this becomes a challenge for us to be bold and honest in our prayers to God. Expressing, even as Jesus commanded His disciples to ask anything in His name and He'll do it. Because He has the power and the authority to do anything and so we should then boldly ask Him. But in doing so, we must also acknowledge the perfect and holy and unchangeable will of God. Knowing that God will only do what's been planned and purposed for our good and for His glory. Well, next in Jesus' prayer, we should also note that He acknowledges His mission. That is the the purpose for which the Father sent Him. Now, if you've noticed so far, I haven't really mentioned, at least specifically, what it is that Jesus is so disturbed about. We simply have focused on His anguish not only in the context of him within himself, but also in relation to his companions, his disciples, and now in relation to his father. And it's, it's this last one that is really at the heart of, of his trauma that he's experiencing. For Jesus' sorrow and distress comes from the mission given to him by his father. Now here, Jesus' mission is described using the metaphor of a cup. Right, verse 39, let this cup pass from me. And verse 42, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it. Well, what is the cup? Well, it's not a literal cup. But it points to his mission, which will be accomplished in his suffering, death, and his resurrection. But there is one aspect of that mission that seems to weigh more heavenly than all the others. And we should note first what it's not. Friends, it's not the fact of his death. Jesus isn't afraid to die. If he were, he certainly would have never come to Jerusalem in the first place. You see, Jesus knew that that death was coming to him. And he spoke plainly and openly about it with his disciples. He had the confidence that he would rise again, right? Each time that he predicted his his coming death, he told his disciples, and I will be raised on the third day. He knew. Even as again, he would have sang in that hymn, Psalm 118, that death wouldn't hold him. And so the problem for Jesus wasn't that he was going to die. No, what greatly troubled his soul was the coming isolation from his precious heavenly Father. That's what was weighing so heavily upon him. The time when he would be there on the cross and he would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, the Heavenly Father will turn away from His beloved Son because upon His shoulders would rest the sins of the world. 
At that time, Jesus will experience the wrath and curse of God for our sin. That's the cup. It's the cup of God's wrath to be poured out upon Jesus because of our sin. Isaiah 53, 4 prophesied long before of this moment saying, Surely our griefs He Himself bore and our sorrows He carried. And the Apostle Paul would summarize the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 saying that He made Him, that is God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. It's because God in His holiness can't stand the sight of sin. He must judge sin. He must pour out His wrath upon sin. And so when Jesus bears our sin on the cross, the cup of God's wrath was poured out upon Him. And the gracious love of God the Father was turned away from Him. The intensity of such a moment it's incomprehensible to us and, and it's the very thing which Jesus now agonizes. That the cup of the Father's wrath for our sin. Jesus is praying, let that cup be turned away from me. Because just the thought of being forsaken by His Heavenly Father even for a short time is too much for Jesus to bear. But oh, what a precious gift it is to us. And Jesus, mindful of this very thing, mindful that the whole purpose of His coming was to save His people, even us, from our sins. Jesus, after crying out to the Father, responds with a perfect example of what it means to submit our wills to God's will. In verse 39, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus willingly submits Himself to the Father's eternal decree that He should be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And each time here that Jesus prays, He gets firmer and firmer in His commitment. In verse 42, He says, If this cup cannot pass away from Me unless I drink it, Your will be done. Jesus acknowledges that there really is no other way. The cup cannot pass from Him. Because it is the will of His Father. Therefore, it is also His will and His desire. Beloved of God, remember that this is what Jesus endured to benefit His people, even the undeserving sinners such as we are. And we can finish Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 where he said, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Paul continues that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You see, because the cup didn't pass from Jesus. And He endured the wrath and curse of God for our sins that were placed upon Him. That we now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Peter, James, and John, here they, see they weren't able. In their fallen humanity, they just weren't able to 
to stay alert, to pray, to to truly sympathize with Jesus in His suffering and in His time of struggle. But because of His redemptive work on the cross, Jesus truly shows Himself to be the perfect high priest who is able to sympathize with, uh, with us in all of our weaknesses. And w- what a great blessing that is. But note how conforming His will, uh, Himself to His Father's will now enables Jesus to move forward to do just that. And He moves forward with great resolve to finish now what He came to do. There's no longer any sense of of hesitancy. Now strengthened to do the will of His Father, even to the point of death, His hour has come. Verse 45 and 46, Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And Jesus is ready. He's ready now to, to face His enemies and His betrayer. See, when Jesus says, rise, let us be going, He's, he's not telling the, the disciples, look, let's turn and run the other way. No, Jesus, strengthened and confident in God's will for him, boldly goes out to meet Judas and to meet this approaching mob. He's going out boldly to the cross to what he knows he must accomplish. Beloved of God, meditate on these things. Jesus endured this pressing and agonizing time for you, for His people. He suffered for your sins. He became the focal point of God's uh, wrath and curse so that you could be spared from it. He died. And yet we know that death couldn't hold Him. And that He was raised again from the dead on the third day, securing for us that glorious victory. All to the benefit of His people. And one of those benefits is that in our misery, and in our time of suffering and affliction, whatever it might be, whatever we may be enduring, perhaps now or or at some point in the future, remember this. That we truly have a great high priest who can sympathize with us and understand whatever it is we're struggling with. It doesn't matter what it is. If we're feeling isolated and and separated, we suffer great loss. Jesus can identify with us because He was abandoned by everyone. And if we truly trust in Christ... And if we have received the spirit of adoption as sons, well then because of what Jesus has done for us, that we also can cry out, Abba, Father. And we can have the confidence that in our time of need, He will listen to our prayer and He will answer it as we humbly conform our prayer and our will to His most holy and perfect will. This anguish Jesus endured for us so that we might be so comforted and strengthened to live for Him to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. O Lord God in heaven, we do praise You and thank You, Father, for this very important reminder 
of the intensity of the suffering that that our Savior endured for us. And this is just the beginning. This is the emotional, the spiritual suffering that He is enduring at this time. As He knows He's going to be forsaken on the cross. That you will turn away from Him as you pour out the cup of your wrath and curse. Not because of anything that He did wrong, not because of His sin, but because of our sin. Yes, even the same sin that we may continually fall into day after day after day. Your wrath was poured out upon Jesus for those sins. And so may we never, ever take our sin lightly. May we truly strive to be vigilant and to keep watch and to be immersed in prayer and in your word, to be strengthened against Satan and against his temptations, that we would resist him and that he would flee from us, that we might continue to walk in truth. But we praise you and thank you that you know our weaknesses, you know we will still fail. And that you are ready to forgive us and to wash us by the, by the blood of Christ when we come before you and confess our sins and turn away from them. And we pray, Lord, that even now you would impress your spirit into each of our hearts and, and draw us even to that point that we may look to you, the one and true living God, as our only hope and comfort in this life. So that whatever we may endure, whatever we may be going through, and, and perhaps right now many are maybe struggling with things. We know there are many uh, people throughout the world who are suffering. We think of the, our brothers and sisters in, in Russia and Ukraine. May they all turn to you and cry out to you that you would hear their prayers in faith. And that you would build them up and strengthen them as you carry out your will for their good and for your ultimate glory. Father, we just thank you that you have given to us such a faithful high priest. So that even though we may be left alone by all around us, we know that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And that you know exactly what it is we endure. Minister now, even now, to our hearts in these things. That we might all give praise to your glorious name. As we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.